This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good morning, it's Caroline at Teachers Talk Radio today. So, welcome to this lovely Sunday early morning. Today, I'm going to be talking to Tilly Brook uh, over at Now Press Play, a passionate educator and advocate for play. Um, she does a lot of work with uh, Chief Operating Officer at Now Press Play and for class. So this is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. There we go. Good morning. So I'll I'll be talking to Tilly. I think we might have Tilly in. Are you in, Tilly? I'm in. Good morning. Excellent. There we go. So I just gave you a brief intro that I just got slightly cut off. So I'm sure you can give us a, a, a properly better one. Um, so we're talking. We're, I figured we'd meet this morning, have a nice coffee, and have a nice chat. So first up, you're passionate about play. So yeah. how did you get into this? And, and tell us a bit about your journey of, of why you're so passionate on play itself. Yeah, thank you. And good morning to you and everybody. Um, so I, I guess my, my background is uh, I come from a, a big family, so five children. So you kind of had to make noise to be known. Um, and my mum was an, an actress. And she she then stopped being an actress um, because my older sister has profound and multiple learning disabilities and, um, yeah, I went into teaching a bit later on in her life. Um, and for us as kids, she always still kept that element of theatricality and play. So we always had constant made-up stories, um, lots of role play, uh, getting things out and doing imagination play with her. And, and when she was at the school that I actually went to as a, a child as well, she created these stories called Banana Sticklebuckle. And it was this little witch that would basically go into the classroom and the children all knew about the witch, but the teachers didn't. And yeah. then the, the witch would do stuff to the class and they'd go on this journey. And, and each child actually in this in the classroom would be involved in the story so they would sit there mouths open kind of desperate to know what was going to happen to them in the story if they'd become a snail that time or a wellington boot um so so yeah that was always there for me and, and it kind of instilled a kind of love of bird and being at the center of something um yeah and then and as i went through school i I uh, followed that theatrical sense as well through secondary school as well. Mm. Um, so you've got, um, I'll just finish up, round up my intro with this one. Mm. Um, obviously, Tilly is the Chief Operating Officer at Now Press Play. If, you've, if you don't know what that is, please look it up. We'll be talking about it at some point today. Um, and she's such an incredible advocate for for young people and for for playing and learning through play um and she also sits on the committee of the class that i was just about to say is a charity that provides lifelong advocacy services for adults with autism or learning disabilities who cannot speak for themselves um you're a mum of two 
um, and recently started cross, CrossFit. Wow, why are you, why are you doing this? Cross, cross. Seriously, like, you know, but, you know, that's something to talk about when we talk about play, the physicality of play. Um, if, you, if you're wondering, because Caroline's that type, isn't she? You know, if you check out the NHS itself, they have why play is important. Um, it, it, it apparently promotes the cognitive, physical, social, emotional well-being of children and young people, including things like confidence, self-esteem, resilience, mm interaction, social skills, independency, curiosity, coping with challenging situations, but also really important for physical health as well, agility, stamina, coordination, balance. So it, it hardly surprises me that you are also into CrossFit, seeing as you love play so much. Um, but the, it's, a, it's a serious business, isn't it? you know, play. Um, I think we yeah. don't think of it quite as serious as it, it should be. It's a, it's a key part of the um, offset criteria for, for those early years and primaries. Um, if, you, if you think about it, it is really mapping out the world that young people are in at that age. Mm -hmm. um, so really having um, proper play seems to be quite important for cognitive development later on, doesn't it? I think so. And it really helps children to understand how to approach a situation, practicing something in a safe. Oh, I think we might have. Have we got you, Tilly? I think we might have lost you for a second. Uh, typically, we, we might have this experience where we might have lost Tilly and then gained Tilly. So if you bear with me one second, I suspect poor Tilly is still talking and not knowing that she's out. So what I'll do is I'll just let her know and I'll give you a bit of a more of an intro on play so we can we can get that and maybe we can get Tilly back in. Um, Tilly, if you're about, you've dropped out. Do you want to get back out and come back in? Um, because unfortunately, I, I think we've we've just lost your signal, so we just can't hear you. So if you check back in for us, then hopefully we'll get somewhere with that. Um, but play itself, let's just talk about play. Um, there is obviously the developing social skills through play issue. So you can develop social skills themselves. Battery 100%. Connected to and maybe we can get it hello Tilly. oh i don't know what happened i'm so sorry ah don't worry about it it's all right i was just going to go into a medley on play so don't worry it's fine we might <laughs> have we just lost that this might second. happen and we might have to be a bit creative and playful and lo and behold it yeah is. well <laughs> yeah well there we go so don't worry about it i was just about to go into one of you know my really autistic one one tone monologues on play so it's fine luckily enough we've got you back so if we if we we have the same experience we'll just drop in and out so we were you were talking i bet you stopped like mid-conversation there you were talking about why we thought play was important for cognitive yeah. development um i don't know where you heard me up until if you heard anything i said at all no i kind of missed it so if you oh, want to start great. i can start again the beginning okay fab um and i was just saying i think as a, as a, a parent um you know you instinctively from the moment your child arrives you, you have to Oh, we might be experiencing like full-on technical issues here. I might have to do this old school. 
um I, I suspect we might have lost Tilly completely. Um Dan's MacBook Pro 2. Dan Smith's iPhone. Dan Smith's iPhone. So we uh, aha, Tilly. Hello, Tilly. I think we might be hearing you again. This might be a hilarious episode where we deal with the technical issues. Hello, Tilly. Better Hello. 100%. Hello. I think I've got you now. Hello. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. <laughs> so we might, we might, can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Right, okay then. We'll give this a, another bash. If it doesn't, then we'll go to plan B, where I'll with you. But um, don't worry about it. It's These things happen. It happens in technical issues all the time. So it's no big panic. So you were you were saying about play. Yes. Go on. <laughs> I'll try to be quick because maybe it's a sticking point. But yes, yeah. I was just saying that for me, play... Yeah, I suspect, Tilly, we've probably got a sticking point issue here. So what I'll do is I'm going to mute you under here and I'm going to ring you in a, an emergency attempt here um, because I'm good like that. So if you're listening, you can hear me ringing Hello. Hello. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's happening. Uh, don't worry. You're live on air, so I'm ringing okay, you. Okay, great. <laughs> so you know we can have these kind of uh you know unfortunate arrangements which is why i've got a really really relatively good mic to just ring you for the for the possibilities. so don't worry about it. it it just seems to be which is a shame because we checked you out on um we did it for half an hour yesterday and it worked like a dream yeah it did but you know these things happen don't worry about it so you were explaining to us about play itself what you think about how um play is linked to cognitive development i just think it's a very uh, powerful experience for children to learn through play it, it enables them to put them at the center of, of the learning and to think about empathy you know maybe there's a situation that they need to practice something in and, and being able to say yes or no and and feel what that could be like so that if they come to that point in real life then they know kind of how they may react to it mm. um and I think we, we do it instinctively with children from a very young age anyway. And as a parent, you, you know, you learn to be creative and play with your children to help them to learn. And I think in, in school, you know, as you know, early years that happens and it, it does get less as, as you go higher up in the school, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I feel like it does, doesn't it? It's, sometimes you have this moment where it feels like play becomes slightly sidelined as you go further. Uh -huh. And you kind of like, how did that happen? You know, and... Um, but uh, you know me and you were talking earlier yesterday in our kind of pre-call to check um about you know the subjects that do really encourage play things like drama and and yeah. you know, some of the more creative subjects but it does kind of get you know very very narrowed into kind of um break times and you know and um just general play in lunch times and and those few creative subjects whilst i feel like it's much more of a you know, a consistent thing in the in the younger years, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Mm. And, and I was just thinking, as you were saying that, because I did do drama and I went on to, to, to carry on in my early kind of adult life in, in theatre world. And just, 
you know, when you're in the theatre world, you still play. You meet, you know, you're doing a performance and you meet a group of people who you know nothing about. And within the space of two weeks, you're kind of playing games and rolling over each other. And, you know, the connection that, that play can create between people is really strong as well emotionally. And that's why, you know, when you do do a performance of a, of a play, that group suddenly becomes so much like family to you. Yeah, I mean, it feels very much like you've been part of that kind of. It is that social development, really, isn't it? You know that you, you that you know the NHS and the Department of Education feel is 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 so important. Um, you also do. Uh, I want to take us back. We'll probably come back to play. Um, you also are part of the committee for for CLASP. So you do a lot of work with adults with autism, don't you? And I want to talk just briefly about yeah, that. Yeah, so so I, I I sit on the committee for that. So CLASP. Um, is it sits under Kissing Kids, um, which is a, a group uh, was set up uh, by um, some families, and the idea is that they they help support people, families, and children who have um, autism and other disabilities, and kind of create respite and do one to uh, they call it two to one projects and mm. help extend people's life experiences, and it's just a fantastic uh, charity. And then underneath. Um, that is uh, CLASP, which is the Kids and Kids Lifetime Advocacy Support Project. Mm -hmm. And that is a group of 30 families. And there's CLASP 1 and then CLASP 2. So CLASP 1 have helped to create another one. And we'd love to kind of keep creating these pockets everywhere. Um, and, and the idea was that, you know, the families who set up Kids and Kids are now hitting their 80s. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're passing away. And some of them don't have... Uh, children so my family's really lucky my sister's got four other siblings who are really interested and want to support support her but mm. other people don't so an advocate is vital because it, it's a connection for somebody who's going to care about their, their their health their support package you know working with care homes is, is very difficult sometimes and they're not always open to that mm. Mm. I think it's just something that I think everybody should have an advocate you know unfortunately that's not the case you know when you you, you look at that um you know the, the the level of support that we give in schools for for you mm. know uh, children with snd or, or in this case children with autism you know it does it is kind of like a structure that's there for young people and it does just seem to just stop after you know they finish university it's 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 gone and yeah. um you know the the support that you can get as a as a young adult is very very limited i find and, you know, yeah. we really, um, you know, the support in SND itself, it's not a day goes by that I don't complain about that on a regular basis. But, you know, the, the fact that there seems to be this cliff off the edge of which you go at the end of it is exactly. just... I mean, you have to fight for the support when you're in the system, mm. which is just, <laughs> should not be that way at all. Yeah. And then, as you said, that kind of cliff drop off, you know, my sister's 50, 50 she just turned 52 mm. um and there isn't that that capacity no one thinks about that you know but mm. she needs to be encouraged to to still learn and to still grow and develop otherwise you know with her she's she doesn't have verbal communication so very quickly people who, who don't know her that well can say oh she just sits there mm. and and that's not the case you know it's really important and that's why her advocate we worked with her advocate to say music really unlocks your mind when she loves it so what can we do to help enable this in the, in the care home because there is unfortunately a high churn of staff and so mm. even when you teach someone something it's not always getting passed down so 
Sarah, her advocate, is there to go and visit her, to continue that connection. She helped us to locate a music therapist. Mm. Um, it's just, yeah, I just wish that I could help more people to have that. Which, uh, that leads us nicely into, you know, some of the work that you do at Now Press Blake. Um, yeah, it's one of my my favourite tech um, that you can get if you go to bet, if you go swing round now, press play. Um, how would you, for those who didn't describe it, how would you describe what now press play does? Because, yeah, it's like it doesn't often feel like um, technology to use and how do you find it in a classroom? It's, it's you know, if you've, if you've not seen it, it's very much an audio immersion tech um, for young people and it's just it's it's perfect for for asd types like i absolutely love it for that reason it's it's such good um use so how, how would you describe it and what do you think it does for 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 that kind of level of audio immersion yeah um well, well i guess we exist to inspire a love of learning in all children mm. by engaging them in the curriculum through sound story and movement and I think, you know, it's really important to say everybody learns in different ways. Yeah, mm -hmm. Some people are visual learners, some people are auditory. And I think if you're going to be an effective teacher, you need to access all of those different types of learning styles to mm -hmm. help the children in your class because it's never a one-size-fits-all. And now Press Play is an immersive uh, audio resource that does enable teachers to do that. So they put the wireless headphones on. The children become a cat, the main character in the story and they go on an educational adventure mm. and are meeting people, solving problems um, along the way. So it, it's a very direct way to connect a child with what they're learning about. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I pitched to you as well, there's a really great study going on, if you have not, if you don't know, Audio Immersion for, for ASD over at um, York wow. University, actually, um, about how young people with autism spectrum disorder are responding to spatial audio games and audio wow. interaction. Wow. So there's quite a lot of research going on right now about how audio immersion itself uh, can benefit children with, with ASD wow. and for the uh, ability to um interact and 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 actually basically come up with better communication and, and facilitation for language and play so yeah, um, it's, it's quite a budding level of research that at the moment um including that idea yet again we come back around to of the benefits of play and and immersion in a those kind of imaginary worlds that kids have don't they you know yeah you, do you find, you know, have you got a favourite type of play that you watch or you see with kids? Like, you know, it depends because when you see ASD kids, often they'll line up stuff. I was a great liner-upper. Do you know what I mean? When I'd line up things. You knew it was going to be a teacher from day one because I'd line up all my toys and then tell them what was going on. Do you know what I mean? And it's like the ultimate irony, isn't it? You know, but, you know, there's... Do you find like, you know, it, it, it's there's such a thing, um, especially um, out in the research is what's called high qualities of play. Um, um, you know, that's like what type of play children have um, and whether that, you know, whether you can have very kind of inclusive play. And there's been some really good stuff from the Sensory Trust as well, if, you, if you've not seen any of this, um, about what makes really good quality play. What's your favourite type of play? Oh, that's such a good question. I, I mean, for me, like, when when you're, I don't know, that's really difficult. Isn't it? <laughs> I it's think like, it's when it's, it's like trying to pick between a favourite child, child, isn't it? Really? There's nothing that, that's inhibiting them mm. and they're just connecting and their voices are changing and 
you know, in a sense, when I play with, with my children or, or with other children when I work in a school, you know, you don't want to direct it too much mm. <laughs> when it's kind of... And so when they're in their world and you've kind of tipped them into it and then watching them flourish and grow and move things around is just... It's really beautiful, isn't it? I, mean, I, I quite like I, I quite like outdoor plays. Um, yeah. you know, woodland trust type outdoor plays are obviously great because it gives children the chance to practice those kind of exercise skills, get outside and, you know, see what nature's about. And you can learn so much as a science teacher, you know, being outside. Forest learning going on yeah. nowadays, which is good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So you have like a, a full variety of those kinds of areas of, of play and why it's so important for for outdoors but i do love those kind of pretend plays did you ever uh, like i had a, a as most asd kids do i had an imaginary friend when i was a kid like a proper yes, I had an imaginary dog yeah <laughs> did you what was your imaginary dog's name it was just called dog oh <laughs> and my sister used to fight about which one of our dogs would sit next to us in the car i had <laughs> i had an imaginary um i had an imaginary friend called mr monster who used to Mr. Monster. Sit, Mr. Monster. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And he <laughs> he was basically responsible for everything that went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was it. Everything that went wrong, it was Mr. Monster. But it's quite a um, you know, that's quite a common one for when I had my diagnosis process for and if you know it's it's quite common for, for children with autism if you're talking about your charity to have imaginary yeah. friends. So, yeah. you know, those kind of play activities can really help with kind of, you know, practice communication with your imaginary yeah. friend. I also had a stuffed a stuffed toy um called Mooney, who's from Mars and um, yeah, I know. He, he looked a little bit like E.T. And I had him until I was like 20. Like, he was like the best thing ever. So I think, you know, those kinds of, you know, play objects that you get with kids and just letting them yeah. kind of engage in different things, it's really, really important. And it does help. And if you think about this drama therapy as well. Yeah, like, you know, yeah, you can. It goes on and art therapy and it's about accessing things in different ways. Mm, mm. And, and I don't know whether we do value play as much as maybe we should, you know, or whether we mm. think about that modelling out of, of um, you know, those social situations, those conversations, those schemas in the heads, you know, the, the really mm. crucial part of being able to then learn later on. So, yeah. you know, I think when you think about play, we probably should think a bit more, I, I don't know. Why do you think, is it just me or does play often not get the academic kudos that it should do? Exactly. I don't think it does. I know. I mean, do we often kind of dismiss play because it doesn't seem like as a serious, you know, it's not sat there like retrieval practice, is it? <laughs> it's like... and, and I think it's hard to print, you know, the thing that's difficult with, with play and the drama subjects and the, the art subjects is, is the kind of evidencing is very difficult to pull it through, isn't it? And I think that probably has a big impact on, on why it's not yeah. much, especially in the later years. I, I think it is. I think it's quite hard to evidence what's going on with play, isn't yeah. it? Um, you know, and I guess it's hard to kind of design studies for play. But, you know, as I said, the, the Children's Commission and the NHS and the DfE have a very hard line on that play is important. I'll give you some. They've got a list of play ideas. You ready? For 18 months, it's drawing, painting, okay. sock puppets. Sock puppet to 18 months, apparently. I like sock puppet. Uh, dressing up, um, modelling, um, toys, 
um, and a lot on textures for um, children with special educational needs. So yeah. um, for visual impairment, toys that you can explore with your hands and things that you can hear. So, um, you know, there is, when you think about it, it's quite a, it's quite a stimulating sort of environment if you have lots of different textures and things. And if you've ever seen like a baby interact with something that they don't know or a toddler, you know, it's, it's quite a, you know, it's quite in, enlightening when you give them something new, the little faces, yeah. they look at you like, what is this? It's like, yeah. Or we... The texture of sand on children's feet, especially if you're an inner city child, you know, sometimes yeah. they're like, I don't like this and they're at the beach. They're like, Oh my God, what is this? Yeah. Um, it's and so it, important to bring in all those different textures and feelings and sounds. And I think that's a that's an interesting one as well because that's what probably why I like you know woodland outdoor play for young kids mm. because you, you know if you can get it in you know some really kind of um, you know very outdoory kinds of areas or very rural areas it's a very different experience than from kids from a very inner city area. I've had yeah. kids do that thing where they've you know, they've been in inner cities and not seen sheep or cows and then you, yeah. know, you take them out and then they've, you know, or kids that are in, you know, rural areas that, you know, city is incredibly, like, mind-blown for them. And noisy, you know, it can be overwhelming because everything's so big and high, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, having those kind of experiences to be able to kind of, like, you know, map them out in that early age mm. I think is important, you know, um uh, building that cognitive map i think is an important thing to do so you know yeah. now press play if you've if you've not seen it um go and check it out um it does give that kind of like in-depth audio immersive experience doesn't it i quite like yeah. it for for basically ignoring things you know like yeah. <laughs> like a like a proper audience yeah, yeah. Being able to just zone into the kind of thing that you're trying to learn is a deep pleasure if you're, you're on the spectrum. Because obviously classrooms, we fail to kind of realise how distracting classrooms, especially if they're noisy ones or if they're not um, really, you know, quite tightly managed can be. Um, they can be quite intense, I think. Yeah, and schools are, like you said, they are generally noisy places. They're full of like hundreds of people and and it's important to kind of value that noise, but also I think to create a space for, for sounds to be heard and, and silence and, and listening. Mm, mm. Yeah, I think so. And I think when you get into kind of, of using kind of immersive audio, um, it helps kind of just give it a bit of a, you know, like a little bubble world for you to learn the thing that you're learning in. You know, yeah. I've seen plenty of kids do that thing where they come in and they've got a set of big, huge headphones on, you know, and they're kind of like trying to zone out away from everything in an attempt to do yeah. something. All of us have experienced that. Like, can I use my headphones in the classroom in this because I can't concentrate? Or I'm trying to get away from things. And, you yeah. know, this, this is a good way to get that in a more controllable way, really. You know, yeah, yeah, that inner focus can empower children as well to yeah. to just really re kind of work with their own feelings and emotions and not rely on other students for that constant feedback and affirmation. Um, because mm. it's coming from within you, you've got the, the sound bubble around you. Mm. But yet, with, I mean, with now press play, you are actively doing it with other people. So it's a bit of a... Yeah. You know, it's my journey, but we're all collectively experiencing this this adventure. Mm. Um, so it is quite bonding, in a sense, the way that I was talking about theatre for me, kind of mm. doing that was a, is a bonding experience. Mm. Um, so I think you've got kind of like, yeah, it's that kind of like 
immersive. You're right, like a, a jointly immersive bubble, isn't it? Yeah, you know, because yeah. I I worry often. I worry a bit. I worry a bit about kids with um, kids with um, sensory um, difficulties for the simple reason mm. that I have them. And oh my god, you know, I do worry sometimes when it's like, how many hours can you wear a set of headphones? Like, <laughs> like how long can you wear them for? Because like, if you've ever been like I have on a very busy train that's like on its way down to London and you're stuck on it for four hours and you keep a set on. You know, you do get a bit like, oh, my ears are killing me. I need yeah, to take these off. Head a bit, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, like, but, you know, I do, I do wonder whether we keep control of our classrooms, you know, tight enough at moments to provide those kind of very focused environments. Because it's, it's, I think it's really hard to be focused if you've got a noisy room or if you've got yeah. other people talking in a room, you know, that's kind of like, small low level chitter chatter in a room when you're trying to do something can be absolute hard yes exactly and i think you know like you it's very easy to think about your classroom visually and what's going to be on the wall and how am i going to stimulate them in this corner or in the early years they might have kind of the, the real world play going on in one corner or something happening somewhere else but you know can you actively think about the sound you know, is there going to, if you think about Chris Dyson from Parklands or mm. Gary, Gary Spracklin, he, you know, I know that they use music in their corridors. So they've got speaker systems because they want to have a really nice ambience when the children and parents arrive and it happens in the corridors and it's setting a tone and a mood. Mm. And like, how else can you use sound in your class? You know, I mean, how, how do you use it sometimes with your children? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, you know, I'm quite tight with my, my classroom behavior mm. probably say you know so for the simple reason i i tend to try and get us all to do things together but i think i do it majoritively because i can't i'm not very good with abiding kind of different sounds oh. <laughs> so it's kind of like either we're all together in on it or it's it's not going on i think oh. it's probably for the simple reason that I, fi I find it quite difficult and i mean i i recounted to you yesterday you know i go to the um i have an autism meetup group that gets together and um, there's, it's, it's quite a big one um, over in Merseyside where autistic young people and adults all get together to kind of hang out and it's we all have very different ranges but one thing that generally happens is if there is the noisy woman that goes past with the trolley of tea at some point like everybody will be kind of like listening and talking and then suddenly this trolley will go back and everybody stops talking it's like yeah. nobody can talk whilst this trolley goes past to bring the tea in for the simple reason it's just too distracting and it's not something i think i'd ever really noticed until i was diagnosed and turned up and i'd always found it difficult you know to to you know certain really distracting noises and stop me dead in my tracks but yeah. until that moment where i was sat there in the very early days and suddenly realized that the whole room had stopped talking. I didn't realise yeah. how profound that was for everybody. Yeah. Um, and then after that, it became a common thing that you'd see where everybody in the room, if there was like, you know, like a, um, a bus going past that was beeping at one point, uh, you know, a trolley with a tea a rattling along or a, a quite distinct, uh, you know, noise. The, the whole room just stops having a conversation until the noise is gone. And then when the noise is gone, everybody starts again. Um, and it, it just made me really think about how noise is in my classroom afterwards. 
and I was still um I was still teaching at that point quite full time so it was like you know what actually I'm going to really try and manipulate the noise a bit more so I started to use a little more of it beginning you know have ambient noise coming in and then make it clear the noise and stop and then have it going out so it it, it made it very distinct but I do think we don't think about it as much as we think of, you're right about um yeah. visuals in a classroom you know everybody's done a classroom board haven't they for putting visuals up you know and yeah. i'm not sure it even helps so much i've even done it where i've put loads of visuals up and then afterwards i've thought later is that a bit too overwhelming because uh, <laughs> you know it's like yeah, sometimes the less is more approaches yeah. always, always a winner isn't it yeah. yeah i'll put it up and then i'll be like right this is supposed to be really enjoyable why do i hate this <laughs> it's like and then i'll be like, oh, take it down and put less things up you know and in the end i think i feel like my classrooms ended up when it'd be like boxes with a label on it it'd be you know it would it, start out like oh, i want to have a really kind of nice pretty classroom and then it'd end up no i just want to have boxes with labels on them <laughs> and that'd be it so it's kind of like i think the environment maybe we should think about a bit more isn't it you know what yeah, types and I think of environments the sound can be quite cheap and simple to access as well you know there's so many free kind of fx on youtube or programs that you can buy into or just listening mm. you know it's a really simple thing like uh if, if they're doing the great fire of london you could play the sound of a fire crackling mm. you know ask them to close their eyes and imagine where are you what can you hear and then you start to bring in the other senses mm. how does it feel or can we can we can anyone remember sitting next to a fire where were you what did that feel like mm. and then it, it really helps children to build a picture in their mind and, and become this creator and when they start to share what their vision looks like in their mind and it's different from what the child next to them is sitting like and that's not right or wrong it just is mm. you know that, that's when i think the children that sometimes struggle with a traditional read write kind of exam type lesson where there's a good answer and a bad answer mm. get to be winners as well and, yeah. I, and i really like that kind of drawing on what what other children have inside them i really um I really love doing that thing of sounds of space when I'm teaching physics. It's often mm. amazing because there's loads of kind of sounds of space out there that you can kind of look if you're a physics teacher, guys, you know, um, of exactly what Mars would sound like or, you know, what or, or the moon sounds like. And it's so fascinating to, to really think about that because it's not obviously somewhere that you expect sound to be, you know. So yes. um, there's loads of possibility with kind of that level. And I do wonder as well, you know, we all had this during covid didn't we where we were we unfortunately ended up in this period where it was you know we're going to be on zoom and we're going to talk and we're going to you know put things on and we're going to have audio and we're going to have sound and we're going to you know yeah. and oh, i don't i don't know about you but like i i teaching it i found it overwhelming let alone you know sitting and learning that way um yeah. you know because it was a lot of things all at once wasn't it um, yeah and in the end i took to just doing you know audio and slides in the end you know and not adding to it you know the the visual part of trying to get my you know my actual um my face on it and then i'd, I'd, I'd limit it to just my voice at moments so that it was not as quite as too many things to take in yeah and i think that's that's one that you know i wonder whether we've thought about because we use a lot of things like audio feedback don't we you know, yes, I find true. that better than normal feedback if you can do it, because um, mm. it gives the the 
immediacy doesn't yeah, it yeah and also it gives the tone and you know yeah. the the personal effects to it there's something very different about saying wow that was a really amazing versus writing then wow that was really amazing you know which can be interpreted anyway if you're feeling negative about your own work yeah, yeah yeah and also yeah. you know if you're not very good at reading between the lines either you know what i mean yeah. it's having that extra bit of you know intonation and a voice can make a massive difference as well definitely tone silence pace it really helps you to to again understand and empathize doesn't it and figure out what what we mean and and i think as teachers you've got to model that Mm. to children as well don't you yeah 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 and i think you don't always get given that in your in your home life necessarily and communication is yeah and I think that's another one you know being able to you know accurately communicate I think all you know audio and thinking about how we do with play really helps and I mean you said there about having those environments where you know um you're able to practice that because you don't get it at home I really struggle yeah. with that for the simple reason my mother's deaf so right. yeah i'm the the ultimate hilarious you know um uh, conundrum here for the simple reason that you know my, my my mother's deaf and my sister's deaf so i was raised in a very deaf household mm. um as an autistic so there wasn't any noise anyway so it was like you know so the irony upon irony is um you know it was a very calm nice household for me because nobody was yeah. making a big racket anyway but it did mean that i had to look at people because yes. obviously nobody could hear me if, if I wasn't looking at them. Um, yeah. And I, I was quite lucky that both of them had conical hair implants, so they both can hear to some extent, but they're, they're not very big kind of, I'd say, uh, mm. talkers to say the least. So we, we always had a very quietish household itself. You know, and being able to kind of practice and articulate language, I don't think mm. I really got to grips with until much later. Because yeah. it wasn't kind of something that happened all the time. Um, because people just didn't generally kind of chat. And it was only when I, much later on, when I became an aerostess, when I was much older before I became an engineer, that, I, I, that one of the things they do when you're flying is they train you on tone. They have a whole training amount on tone if you're if you're a senior aerostess. And they do it because you've got to get 472 people off a plane in less than a minute. And actually, yeah. you've got to get the tone right for that. And, oh, God, it was some of the best things I ever did. You know, so, you have, uh, yeah. so next time you're on a plane, like, listen for that. Uh, I'm going to be listening tone. out for that, yeah. And yeah. I think for me, that's what theatre and drama has taught you as well, because you do a lot of practice on breath. Yeah, being able to project. Well, I think a lot of the training that we had was actually from theatre and drama. So it was lots of things on, you know, how to breathe and how to to make your voice in a particular tone. And you'll hear it any time, any time anybody goes on a plane, if you hear the, welcome to, yeah, it's that one. (laughs) You're wondering. And every now and again, if I'm really either, you know, things need to be in a particular way fast, I'll break out into emergency tone. Or if I need to kind of, you know, things to be, you know, done really pleasantly or I'm slightly, you know, passive aggressive in any way, I'll break into a hostess tone. You ever seen a hostess tell somebody off? It's like... I love how our past lives always help us in, the, in our present when yeah. you think, well, when will I ever use this again? And you're like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. If I'm trying to complain to somebody, you can hear it already. You're like, 
oh yeah well i wasn't really happy with this and it's all very singy songy for some reason and i've never quite understood why but i think it's kind of those kinds of things when you play around with tone in your voice isn't it you know and yeah. a, a teacher uh, one of my training uh, my um trainers when i was first teaching was very much of the think about getting training for tones for your voice or think about voice training a bit um, yeah. just to see if you can get those tones right and i think that speaks to yet again how much we don't you know maybe we should you know how do we think about audio you know how do yeah. we think about that sense you because know, you can do it you know have um better voice training to get your voice just in your tones right and you forget how much information that is that goes in um to do that and uh, me i generally don't uh, struggle to get the intonations with being on the spectrum so for me it was like one of those things that i actively had to work for you know, right, to, yeah. otherwise i've got a really flat tone <laughs> you know if I'm, if I'm not like at work or, or attempting to sound right i have a, like a proper just flat one tone number you know so i have to really work hard for it so that you yeah. can hear that intonation and hearing intonation kind of if you think about audiobooks or sitting you know a teacher reading a story at the end of the day in the class or whether you're listening to you know something like now press play or a radio drama or an audiobook you're getting the intonation and understanding then when i read a story this is how i could do it you know so i think that's really really nice for children as well i think it is i think what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna i'm gonna move us to the news guys if you're here and when we come back we're probably gonna have a weekend chat and see what we're up to at the weekends and how you know and have a, a continue all this chat i'm on with tilly brooks if you're if you're here and we'll catch you in about 10 minutes here's the news This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. A passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Scotsman reports on strike action by Scottish teachers planned to take place in the coming weeks. Scottish Education Secretary Shirley-Anne Somerville has said there is no separate pot of money to fund an improved pay deal for school staff and that any improved pay offer would involve diverting cash from other areas. 
Strike action was announced after recent ballots and will be the first such action for almost 40 years. School staff are due to strike on November the 24th after members of Scotland's largest teaching union overwhelmingly voted in favour of the industrial action. The EIS union said 96% of its members backed the action via a ballot, which saw a turnout of 71%. The most recent offer of a 5% pay rise was rejected three months ago. Ms Somerville told the Scotsman that she was absolutely determined to try to reward staff with a pay rise closer to the 10% being sought by unions but warned it would lead to difficult decisions in other areas. In Wales, school children have been given the green light to support their national team in the group game against Iran. The Welsh Government has agreed to let schools decide how to manage the timetables during the game, which kicks off at 10am on Friday the 25th of November. The team is in the nation's first World Cup for 64 years. The FA of Wales has organised a football Friday for the day of the Iran game. Around 1,100 schools throughout the country are preparing for a full day of football activity. The Welsh FA has created packs including bunting, footballs, flags and posters to mark the event. Skills sessions, inter-school matches and football festivals are also planned for either side of the Iran game. Pupils in both primary and secondary schools are planning to take part in the events. FE Week focuses on the efforts of colleges across the country that have been instrumental in helping refugees from the war in Ukraine build a home away from home in the UK. Since the war began, around 7 million citizens of Ukraine have left their homes and almost 150,000 have found sanctuary in the UK. The country's colleges have dedicated their efforts to laying on ESOL courses to help refugees master English as well as other learning opportunities designed to help Ukrainians settle in. Whilst numbers vary from area to area, some colleges have signed more than 100 Ukrainian students onto courses. And not just for ESOL. At least 1,200 students are on A-level or other post-GCSE courses. But it's not just about teaching English. College staff have also worked to provide other practical support such as free bus passes, lunch vouchers and loaned laptops. The full story can be found on the FE Week website. Finally, a new resource for secondary school age pupils has been launched to encourage young people to consider a career in the veterinary professions. The British Veterinary Association has endorsed the Vet Team in a Box resource produced by University of Liverpool. The resource is designed in line with the Key Stage 3 National Curriculum and help students participate in scenarios which aim to demystify the veterinary professions and remove perceived barriers to joining. The resource will be available later this month. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week let's talk gadgets and tech that helps us teach, but also might be something to hint at for a gift in the near future. Before I start, I'd like to define tech as anything that's been made that makes a difference to how we interact with the world, usually for the better. A pencil or scissors, for example, are classed as tech in my definition. That being said, let's look at what a few internet searches have brought up as must-have tech 
for teachers. Mini whiteboards, a favourite of Nathan Ginn, have got to be super useful. Things to watch though is pen drilling out. Do you also need a cloth or a board rubber? And primary teachers don't let the kids keep them in the trays with the books. They make them look messy and get ink all over them. Interactive screens. Are you team interactive or could you have had a big TV and spent the rest on other things? I love interactivity, but my subject lends itself to it. Are you simply presenting on an overpriced screen? Things to check out are open source interactive software that's compatible with different devices. Sometimes you can be locked in by software. Having something you can use on almost any board might be for you, especially if your school has a mixed estate of it. and as it's open source it will be free the presentation clicker is a classic things to watch for is losing it leaving the usb dongle behind and also ensuring you don't use the built-in class 3 laser to blind the class does anyone really use a laser pointer a webcam a topic i've discussed in the past a decent webcam nowadays doesn't need to be expensive and can do as much as a visualizer think purpose and audience then think desk space and the number of cables needed what about simpler gadgets Feedback stamps. With these, I'd just be certain the way feedback is given isn't going to change before you buy them to get value for money from the stamp. Ninja pens. Is it a ruler? Is it a pen? No, it's a spirit level and also a flat and cross-headed screwdriver. It looks cool, but if you get a cheap one, don't expect to be able to unscrew anything unless what you're unscrewing is made from cheese. As always, I'd love to hear about your favourite teaching tech. Let us know at TT Radio 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, I'm back um, with Tilly Brook. We've had a few technical difficulties, so thank you for being patient with us. But Tilly, we've still got you, haven't we? You do indeed. Excellent. So that's good. So um, we were talking about um, audio in a, in a classroom at first and how noise affects us um, and how you can use audio kind of in rooms. One of the thoughts I had just while we were, were listening in the break then was things like podcasting. You know, or things like listening into radio shows. And one of the things I use all the time, actually, was when I was teaching GCSE, I'd use um, the BBC Bite Size podcasts for revision and I'd have kids download them and I'd be like, right, go listen to them. You know, do we, do you think we should use kind of audio for things like, you know, revision or podcasts or or being able to listen in a bit more in comparison to having things like, you know, um, YouTube or, or things that are more kind of on screen because, you know, um, we've obviously, I think most people will have seen a lot of the research recently, the amount of screen time kids get is, is quite a lot, isn't it? Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, I, you know, I'm not anti-screen time, I'm not anti-apps, I love them, my kids love them, I think there's great ones in use in schools, but, but there is so much staring at a screen and, and especially with young children as well in kind of nursery and preschool mm. that can happen quite a lot as a parent you know you're, you're like oh just don't distract them with this and the more I think we can engage children in this thing with audio alongside everything right I'm not mm. saying one is better over the other um the richer their lives are and the more they can start to understand oh I, in this situation this is helping me or I really want to close my eyes and focus and not have to look at the same time mm. So yes, I, I am a firm believer that we should have a kind of plethora of things and ways to access revision um, yeah. and learning, definitely. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of um, really really great podcasts I found from the British Council do a bunch of them and Radio 4 do some really thoughtful thinky ones, um, you know, and especially if you're 
if you teach there's plenty as i said on the bbc bite-sized website for gcse revision um you know i find i found podcast was useful when i did it um um or when I, I got kids to do it for the simple reason that they could listen to it on the way in you yeah. know it was one of those things like instead of putting isn't there, yeah, yeah. instead of putting your music on on the way in just put your revision on on the way in instead yeah. and it was just like an extra you know bit of time that they could be revising instead of kind of like oh just drowned out everything with music it'd be like oh we'll drown out things with you know more immersive kind of educational content which is uh, yeah, that's so smart what you're doing you're thinking about how are my children working where, where is a space where they, right. this can happen for them that's not going to infringe on another activity and it's maximizing kind of access to the education i think it's great yeah and i think for me it was um i was always trying to think about where could i where could i cram in a bit of extra you know and and also put almost passive extra not kind of you know where they sat there intently studying because i was always a great believer as well of, of of trying to get in the extra content when they could just listen to it and absorb it because it, it always took me a little while longer to get everything so it'd be you know i'd have to you know listen to it and then i'd have to you know ex, you know understand it and then i'd have to think about it so to do that it'd always take me a little longer so i always assumed it'd take everybody else a little longer because you you know you teach but you can experience. pause it and you can go back and you can listen to it and yeah. you know i love that flexibility yeah 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 and that level of flexibility was always really useful i did a whole bunch where i do podcasts with kids where i get kids to do their own podcasts to explain things and then they play it back yeah. and then they'd have it and that was a great experience as well you know trying to you know create your own is quite uh, I'm, i think that that is doubly powerful for me because if you're thinking about the end user how are they going to understand this yeah. you know you're suddenly really invested in kind of what's the content and how can i make it as clear and concise as possible for someone else to consume yeah it was one of the re it was one of the reasons i got really comfortable with podcasting to be honest because it was like you know you'd have so much time where you'd be like right we're going to explain this gcse question because we're going to explain a series of them in this podcast and then you're all going to listen mm -hmm. to them and you know to do that at, you're right kids had to really think very very carefully um, about what exactly they were trying to put across that that what answer that would be um and it, it did really help kind of hook it in because yeah. it would be a bit more than kind of you know you just explaining it or talking about it it'd be more cognitive hooks in that kind of area of the brain and you could listen to it just a quick you know so five minutes in a queue you don't have to get out all your notes for something you just pop it in your ear and then it was and i think that that always helped and was similar to to what kind of you do with now press play isn't it it's just kind of um, getting that information in in a, in a different format isn't it yeah and i think you know i mean i am not a class teacher i was a, a ta and worked with um some specific children in the school but like what what you really want is to make a memorable learning moment right because mm. You want them to go back home or to take it through into a later point in their learning in the future and go oh god i remember that <laughs> and, and it, that's what every teacher i think is trying to achieve you know in each lesson how how are they going to remember this how do i make it engaging and fun and exciting and yeah you know, there's always a different medium for it yeah and i think with with audio i always found it really easy because you could you could get them to visually engage with it if you did that one of my favorites was 
was always teaching stopping distances in physics because we'd always create the you know the visual we do it through audio and then we do it on podcast and then we'd send it back and it was always the visual of, of mrs keep in her car and how many things could go wrong with miss keep in her car you know what i mean it's like there's a whole bunch of there's a whole several generations of kids out there in the northwest that are like mrs keep is the worst driver ever do you know what i mean because like a good kid story book, if you ask me. yeah it is this keeps worst driving ever and it, it's just because for stopping distances you would be like like you know she gets distracted she's got a coffee in her hand she's got the music on she's ignoring a child in the back you know she's you know she's 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 been smoking she's been drinking she's been doing everything you know and how bad could they make you yeah. how bad you know, could they make they you want to learn and remember it yeah, yeah. and it, it was always really funny when they try and come up with all of the worst ways that i could possibly drive <laughs> and then obviously after that then we come up with the worst ways that i could keep the car you know which isn't you know yeah. which affects stopping distances which would be you know i've not serviced it i've not done the brakes i've not you know and then at the end of it i'd, I'd we'd have the weather which would involve me skidding on a road normally trying to kill a child with a car you know <laughs> like and by the end of it they had a really good image nobody ever failed the stopping distance question Ever. And it's so important to make it fun, yeah. right? You've got to get that engagement in by, by making the learning memorable and, yeah. and creating this love of learning, you know? That's, yeah. that's what we want, is children that are going to go on to enjoy learning themselves in, wherever they are and continue to learn. Yeah, but it's a weird one, really, because, you know, I see kids now, and I've seen one recently who's, like, you know, 19, 20, you know, who's been out of university, but bumped into them, and they were like, oh, I always think of you driving a car badly. And I was like, really? Even now? <laughs> the laugh is I'm, I'm actually quite a safe driver, but there's a whole bunch <laughs> not of kids. No, not in their minds. No, not in their minds. <laughs> no, in their minds, I am the worst driver on earth. You know, and it's... I think that podcasting one's quite interesting as well because I think with some of the primary schools I've worked with, um, you know, they've used Now Press Play as a kind of podcasting club, mm. a school club where they've got the children to write their own stories, mm. record them, and podcast, and and it is again, it's that way of another way into writing and engaging children who might be reluctant writers, mm. but suddenly if they know someone else is going to hear what they've written, mm. it, it brings a whole new element into why I'm writing and the purpose. So, <laughs> So they want to do it uh, yeah i really liked it for for it encouraged that it encouraged you know quite deep thinking about the content and and also trying to remember that content but also it, it really encouraged public speaking as well for those yeah. kids who were much more nervous of public speaking because eventually you know after a couple of attempts you get very much over how your voice sounds and then oh. before you know it, you're kind of like, oh, actually, I can do this. And I, I feel like that was always an important one for, for the more quieter, shyer kids who could, you know, really struggled with that kind of um, speaking element. Um, and that it, and generally always helped with the vocabulary as well, especially when I was doing yeah. kind of more scientific ones. It helped practice that vocabulary so that they could say it and they understood it and they knew what it meant. You know, we I think... You know, thinking about how audio affects your identity, isn't it? Mm. You know, how the words you use and how you say them, how it builds an identity later. Because you're right, that level of communication, if you've got it, you know, can truly benefit you. You know, do you think it it builds a sense of identity? Yeah, well, I mean, I think sound and, and language 
you know, it is our identity. You know, we use it to to, to tell people who we are as indicators. Um, and I think for children, that's equally important. You know, whether it's through music, <laughs> you know, that's an expression of self. You think back to your teens. What were you? Who were you trying to be then through music and sound? Um, then there's kind of cultural different sounds, the way that we speak and mm. say things and express things. And I think that's really important in schools that 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 power of language and, and, and the sound is given a space mm. because in, in schools there is so rich kind of cultures and identities around us. Mm. Mm. I think as well as that, I think it can be really useful for kind of breaking down bias and boundaries. I don't know whether you're yeah. seeing today, if you if anybody's watching, we're on the, the if anybody's listening, we're on the 13th. Um, today, there was a very big article in the news actually about um, uh, the, the class gap, you know, social economic class being an effect and accents and differences in accents being yeah. an effect. And actually, you know, when you, you you can have sounds, then you can have that experience of different aspects, different uh, ethnicities, different uh, ways of speaking, you know, and I think that's crucially important. I don't yeah. think we get enough of that, do we? Because if you think yeah. of kind of a school community, quite often they're very similar, you know, in their accent quite often um, because they're all from a similar sort of community. And I think sometimes that can be very hard to not hear the wider red. You know, if you go down to, to different cities, my sister lives in Birmingham, you know, she's got a very um, thick, brummy accent surrounded by that type. You know, I'm up this end in the north. I have a slight Liverpool-esque twang to my accent. But I think you don't experience that range. And I think that's yeah. important as well, um, to experience the range of audio in accents that we hear and language that we hear to, to be able to encourage that level of diversity, isn't it? definitely i 100% agree with that i think you do have that moment where like if you don't um if you've never heard it it can be really strange you know like when i was abroad you used to have this thing where because i spoke because i was british and when i was abroad for the the years that i was um you know around the world i'm classed as just british yeah, that's it. You're just British. There's no, there's no kind of range around the world. It's just you're British, and that's the end of it. You know, um, and the, the, you know, the I've been asked more than once in America whether you know you know the Queen because you're British. That's so the, there was never. But obviously, if you go down south, I'm very northern. You know, um, so there is that kind of range of accents and being having the experience of having different noise experiences in different ranges yeah i think it's... and it not being that you have to be the kind of you know rp white british yeah. to be to be the, the you know that's what we need to continue to break down i think yeah yeah and i think especially if you've got kind of you know um the different diversities of a school i think sometimes yeah. it can be quite hard can't it if um a lot of the content that you're using is is in one kind of spoken tone so to speak you know to to have kind of the range of different speakers um which i think maybe is an important one to do i don't think we think of that very often do we it's more kind of the range of um you know books or experiences we we see but i don't know whether we think very much about the range of tones or audio that we've got going that you hear, yeah, yeah. No, um, I was listening to actually on BBC. They were doing it's like a radio archives and going back to kind of the voices that were on then. Mm. 
um, back in the day and kind of, you know, that received pronunciation that's very kept and, and you know, it, it's a lot better now. But my God, I think we still have a long way to go. I think we do. And I think we do for the simple reason. Every time and again, you watch the news. And I think I watched it recently and it was like one Yorkshire person. I was like, oh, yes, there's somebody from yeah. Yorkshire on here. <laughs> and the fact that I'm cheering whenever I see it means that it's probably yeah. not happening as much as I'd like it to. It should, yeah. Yeah, you know, so, but, and I think, I, I do find it in because I've come from such a diverse background of family. You know, nobody's just pure English on in my family. Everybody's a mix. So for me, it's very unusual to to like when I was teaching to be in you know very similar tones. And um, people would say to me things like, "Oh, you have a very interesting timbre, Caroline," or they could never quite work out where I was from. Um, they knew it was northern, but not quite where. Um, and it's just because your accent does change and wane, especially if you live abroad or if you, you're abroad for a long time. So you don't quite have the same tones as everybody else. And it's only every now and again that I'll slip into a real scouse that then people are like, oh, well, now I know where she's from. When you're around more scouse people as well. Like, yeah. You end up reflecting sometimes as well a bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's having that range for young people to hear it, you know, so they can hear it and see it and experience the, the kind of different cultures, I think is an important thing. Mm. Um, because I think mm. you're right. I think it, that does build identity, doesn't it? Yeah. And I think when you, you kind of have that moment where you're listening to people, you know you build your identity around them one of the reasons i got you know we'll have a quick chat about this um with you doing a lot of work with autistic adults um one of the reasons that was on my list for um reasons why caroline is definitely autistic was because my mother could remember a time where we'd gone on holiday um to like tenerife or something and i got stuck in a cockney accent for a month because the kid i was playing with was cockney and I, I picked up and mirrored his accent. And then, give us a go now, go I on. can't even do it now. But <laughs> I can't. But I got stuck apparently in a Cockney accent for a full month and nobody could get me out it. of it. And she, my mother said it was a perfect Cockney accent, Caroline, and we don't know why you were stuck in it, but we just thought it was one of those things. This is how bad it was back in the day. We just thought it was one of those things and we figured it would pass eventually. And it, it, eventually when we, you know, after a couple of weeks at home, it did pass, so we just thought nothing of it. And I thought, oh, my God, if you've got a kid stuck in a Cockney accent for a month these days, you'd probably think a bit more about it. But, you know, that just shows you, especially with, you know, um, kids who are neurodiverse how much audio can affect us you know what i mean mm. it can really shape how you are and especially when you're trying to mask or mimic um you know it can yeah. be absolutely transformational who you're around and who you're listening to and who you're looking at can't it yeah and then as a, as children it's that peer peer influence as well you know if that's how my friends are all talking i want to be in in the inside group as well mm. Exactly. So I think, you know, having, um, you know, how we affect that kind of level of communication, you know, to make sure we're communicating the right sort of things with kids and, and okay. how they speak, I think, is kind of a crucial one, isn't it? So let's yeah. round up in the last bit. Let's talk about some bits that are just generally nice because it's Sunday. And if, you, if you're listening in, we're, we're probably going to be rounding in the next kind of 10, 15 minutes. So and you know what are you going to spend your Sundays doing? What do you do to relax? I always ask everybody this on a Sunday. 
that is a good one. It's very hard to relax with a three-year-old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so relaxing consists of, um, you no, know, on a wintry, wintry Sunday, it's quite nice to get a bit arty. Mm. I like to get my art on with the kids and get stuff out, and I'm quite messy, much mm. to my partner's dismay. Um, so I love to get like paint all over our hands, or we'll do, um, you know, uh, play-doh, make play-doh ourselves. Yeah. But today we're going on a forage. We're going to go for a forage in the forest. Oh, very nice. See, you've yeah. got, you've, you've got, I've got an arty one. You've got um, two, have you got two young boys or is it one young boy? Yeah, six, six and a three-year-old. Oh, you're at that, that, that age, aren't you? Six is a lovely <laughs> age. Um, yeah, yeah, I've got a, yeah, I've got a 17 year old teen who is very into climbing. So I think oh, it's wow. climbing, at the, it's all about the climb. So it's oh. climbing at the moment, um, which she's been into for years now. So she's been trying is that to. Like bouldering? Or yeah, like, she's just bouldering yeah. and top rope. And when she was over in Iceland, she did a, a whole bunch of. Um, a, like uh, award kind of level climbing competition so she was one of the wow. icelandic national climbers um wow yeah 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 it's all about climbing um so I, i'm the i'm the poor mum that sits there with a mat making sure that she doesn't fall off and injure herself but because she's <laughs> I had take my kids climbing and there's like this big wall that you can go and then you can go on to top yeah and he was five at the time and i couldn't get up there and i was like oh my god how am i gonna get this child down but they do it and i think that's that's the thing you've got to trust them and, and let them so yeah explore. i think um she's quite um she's quite fiercely independent my daughter i've raised her to be one of them and she was Good. um I like that. yeah yeah she is so she was um she was she was kind of climbing and traveling you know because we had two of us abroad my family are mostly abroad and i'm in england so she was being shipped between countries from when she was like three or four and she's been climbing yeah. all the way through so she'll be kind of like um fine-tuning it but she, she did a bit of a of a travelly run over the, the the summer holidays and she started a British college now instead of being in Icelandic school. We've had a transitional period, so because of that, she's had to take some serious time to get used to the transition. So she's right. just picking up her climbing again. And um, she's absolutely furious that her hand strength is not what it used to be, apparently. So it's, yeah. it's, all, it's all... Anything like that strength-wise goes very Yeah. Quickly. Yeah, and it made me think about kind of like, you know, when you talk about play, like, you know, having that kind of coordination itself is really important, isn't it? You know, you, you, I never realised yeah. how quickly kind of physical coordination can, you know, um, go out and not work as much um, for the simple reason that it was like, I, I just always assumed that she'd be, you know, really you know, intensively climbing and pro level, like all the way through, because I didn't assume that that had been that, that would regress. But a couple of months off, and she was like, "No, mom, I can't be a seven plus yeah. one anymore because the strength isn't in the fingers." So I think that's why it's kind of like important to get that kind of outdoor space with young children, you know, and and yes. be able to practice it regularly. I also and, you know, when they're younger, that always leads into fine motor skills. Ultimately, doesn't it? You know, mm -hmm. using your being able to be active and use your hands and body. Yeah, and one of the yeah. things I always noticed as well. Um, with raising a, a nationality child in two different countries and two different schooling systems is one thing i always noticed as well that i wonder what it is with us or what it is with them is that the icelandics they have no boundary with throwing a kid outside 
Like, <laughs> like they do not care. Like, well, there's no such thing as bad weather. It's just no, bad clothes. Yes, right? that is the that is the definite. <laughs> That's yeah. What we've got wrong here in England. I think we go, oh, bad weather, keep them in. Yeah. So like, she was like two or three, and even now, like, she 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 thinks it's hilarious that I think the weather is bad, having lived there for for five the last five years, and um, because we co-parented me and my ex-husband, and like. We had this moment where, like, I remember she was, like, two or three, and they put them in, like, a full-blown, like, what they call a wetsuit, which is basically, like, a giant kind of waterproof gear, dungarees yeah. and a hat and a set of waterproof gloves. And, like, it, it'd be snowing in depth and freeze, and they'd throw them outside. They just... And afterwards, I would spend a bit of time. Listen, I'd spend a bit of time um, at some of the Icelandic nurseries because my um, my uh, her grandmother was was the head of a she's a, a child nursery, and they have like little like little rooms that they just hang up all the wet gear and take off all their shoes, and then they go into yeah. school. And then outside in the wet rooms, they just put them all back on and throw them all out. And I seen it enough that I was like, yeah, okay, I'll throw you out you know, with all the other kids. Mm -hmm. And then now she's just, you know, she's quite fiercely independent on out outdoors um, itself and she really loves the outdoors. But I often found that that made a lot less time than being indoors on screen. Yes. You know, she was always outside up a tree or in something and it was kind of like fine because you can just get out and doesn't matter what the weather is, just put your rain gear on out you go. Whilst for us, I think we do keep our kids in a lot don't we you know they don't yeah, necessarily definitely. have time to play out as much i don't think um yeah and in the city as well it's like you know there's not that many green spaces sometimes for you to go to and yeah and i think that can be really effective but mm. you know for her her opinion i do wonder whether it's whether they've got it right or whether we've got it wrong i'm not sure um but i do think that when i'd see it you know, when she was older and send it out, now she's back. Um, you know, she'd she'd walk home like from school and like full on blizzards, like the kind of thing that I can't stand up in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And she I remember her going swimming when she first moved over to go to Icelandic high school to get a dual nationality and also to to learn Icelandic well. Um and she went swimming and all the kids had gone swimming. And I remember ringing her. She'd only been in Iceland about maybe six months. And she rang me and she said, oh, mum, she said, I've come out of swimming and I'm walking home. My hair is frozen. <laughs> and it was like, and it literally was like frozen. It was like she could, she could poke it upwards. It was that frozen. And she was just like, and I was like, are you okay? This does not look healthy or good. And she was like, all the kids are walking home with frozen hair, mum. And I was yeah. like, really? And she was like, yeah nobody thinks that this is crazy other than me and now now she's like absolutely she Sorry, thinks uh, yeah. yeah now <laughs> she's like why are you putting that many layers on now she's like a an icelandic who works shorts in the middle of like a full-blown storm who thinks that well, there's a lot of research isn't there around people swimming in cold water and the health yeah. benefits and well-being and yeah yeah there is and connected with nature and outdoors yeah and I found, we are part of nature aren't we you know yeah yeah and i did find that the 
what was really strange was I found that their attitudes, like a lot of the Scandinavian attitudes towards things like social media and, and online use and kids having social media is very different than our teenagers. Um, That's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. They don't tend to be very big on social media at all. You know, they're really not. They're very um, reserved with it. They see it as a bit, how do I put it? It's a bit, um, um, I don't know what the word for it is. It's a bit unfashionable to put your whole life on social media. Or mm -hmm. um, you're supposed to, you know, it, it, to, to their teens, it's not a thing you do. It's, you know, I think that's a very healthy approach, especially as a teenager. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, but they do do a lot of outdoor sports, but they have a lot of play. So they have a lot of outdoor play. School doesn't really start till seven. Um, mm. It carries on till 21 um, yeah, for college. Yeah, it's such a different approach, isn't it? Yeah, and the they, play. Yeah, and they have a lot more play. And, and on top of that, I think they have a stack not only a, a lot more play in the primary years um, and they're not starting official school until much later but also the after school clubs they have a huge amount of after school clubs you know for mm. everything from climbing to art and most of it's subs you know subsidized so nobody ever pays for it and they have a whole bunch of um working programs over the summers so everybody all the teenagers have a longer summer they have like three months it's crazy. Yeah, but they're, yeah, they're engaged in something. Yeah, yeah, they have like three months, but they, they do a working program. So they often get ascribed to during those months to go work at things like we would have for councils, like picking up litter and mowing gardens and things like that. Right. And then they get paid employment during the summer. Every team does it from like 13 upwards till like I think it's 16. And um, they, they all do that. They're so much more outdoors and playful than we are. And um, she's found it odd coming back to Britain because it's like... I can imagine. I mean, I just love that approach and the way that they, they, they did it. Yeah, really yeah. Did. She has, she's like found it quite house. quite unusual to come back to Britain because one of the first things she said is like, well, where, where do all the teens go, Mum? And you know what? I yeah. didn't really have an answer. I was, <laughs> I was kind of a yeah. bit like, I don't know, actually. You know, they hide away from parents and they're online. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, oh, maybe. Um, and it, it was, it was like, well, where do all the teens go? And, you know, I asked some of her friends recently and she was like, well, we used to go to McDonald's, but now they have a cutoff for how long you can hang around a McDonald's. And I thought, oh, God, that just kind of sums up the I mean, the that's world. why those programs you just mentioned sound so magnificent, right? You know, you're yeah. engaging people and helping them to see themselves as part of society and a contributor. Yeah, yeah, I think they are. But, you know, the question is, you know, uh, I often say when people say, wow, that sounds amazing, I'm like, yeah. But, you know, Iceland is like the population of Liverpool stacked into yeah. a country the size of Britain. So, you know, they've got a small population enough to do it, as a lot of the Scandinavians do. Um, you know, how would you replicate something like that in Britain itself um, with a big country with a lot of people? Mm. Um, but I do think, you know, uh, there's been a lot of talk recently, haven't there, on extending the school day regarding play. You know, could we yeah. extend school days and have more play? And I think the first reaction from many teachers is like, oh, dude, we've got so much to do already. Can you not add any more to that? But yeah. I actually think that, you know, some of the kind of, charitable organizations could be incredibly brilliant if we could incorporate them into 
you know, local communities after school plays, you know. And not pushing all the pressure onto the teachers in order to do everything on top of, yeah, yeah, I think that's that's smart. You know, I think we could probably have more of that, couldn't we? You know, organisations coming in and being like, well, we'll provide this hour's worth on this day a week or we'll provide this particular after school club for this. Mm. And, you know, then provide kind of enriching playful kind of activities that aren't dependent on teachers doing it all um because i do feel like sometimes it's like how many things can we add to this list but if we did that we would have more zones for them to be in because the kind of youth center culture is long since died i think hasn't it yes sadly yes especially for teens and i think that you know being able to have those playful opportunities for teenagers are just as important you know yeah. uh, uh, what do you think about that do you think teens get the opportunity to be playful no i think it's they're not given it and it, it's harder for them to access it because you're beginning to become a bit more self-conscious so if it's not there on a plate mm. then they're not going to do it and if it comes occasionally they're going to refuse it but if it if, if we can access in more creative ways like you've just suggested yeah. Then why wasn't you? And especially with the current kind of economic crisis looming, you know, having more spaces where people can go and have a sense of community and be warm and yeah. and do activities just is so important. And my son has just started a, a football club, um, a guy called Bobby Kasanga, mm. and um, he's just this guy's amazing. Like he he's an ex gang member. He went to prison. He came out and he just said. I want to help the children in Hackney mm. have positive role models. Like I want them to know that they can achieve and that they're great. And so he created a football club and you don't have to qualify mm. in order to join the team. You can be any child and, and join no matter what your skill is. Mm. And they, they do, they create amazing footballers in their foot, like who've gone through to their first team, but it's about giving the community access to, to being playful and seeing positive role models. Yeah. And it's kind of, um, it's linked into all those opportunities as well, I guess, with sport, isn't it? You know, sports are creative opportunities, enriching activities. You know, I'm always a big fan of doing that when I do it for makerspaces for the simple reason that I, I tend to concentrate on the kind of more geekier, you know, techier kind of kids who want to do, you know, podcast or robotics or things like that. But I always thought that, you know, whole school enrichment programs, you know, whole school yeah. afternoon after school programs was incredibly beneficial and it's you know if you teach a listening it's one of those things that the dfe are particularly keen on in that personal development section you know having whole school programs that deal with those kind of enriching opportunities because i think the the matter don't they the matter for a multitude of reasons for you know communication for social groups for you know um all of the kind of you know softer skills that maybe that we don't look at you know i think yeah and i think that they they make they can make a distinctive difference you know in that was you know interaction and social skills also just an independence for young people um you know if you've got role models as well coming in from other organizations and and then children go oh I can see me here too you know mm. if you if you're bringing a different we go back to that cultural identity yeah. of different voices and different people and you know maybe you'll hook children, some some children in on the sporty thing and then because they've felt a sense of success and you know, personal growth and maybe they'll step into kind of 
you know, as you said, it's something a bit more geeky next time. And yeah. it's a kind of a step ladder, isn't it? Of like, and this is available to you because you've learned resilience here and you've learned this there. So why not try? Even if you think you won't be great at it straight away. You know? Yeah, I think also it's, um, you know, that. I think it does. I think a sense of independence is really important for kids to, for kids to have. You know, um, you know, a real um, solid sense of, of being able to to be independent and problem solve and and not be, you know, particularly too frightened of the world itself. And, you yeah. know, having those completely separate, ident- you know, experiences with with different individuals always helps with that because it's different social groups, it's different sets of people, uh, you know, and it's it it helps you build up that sense of that. That's fine. You can deal with different groups of people different things and you don't have to worry so much about that you know Uh, along with that outdoor play being able to navigate things like you know your school buses when you primary yes you know i mean i used to get nowadays i wonder whether it's the same because like i used to chuck mine on a school bus pretty young you know i was like right we're gonna get the bus but now I do worry whether we do have a, a sense of we fear. Too much. Yeah, yeah. Now we're like, everybody's trying to get there by car, you know, and it's like, yeah. you know, and things like that help because I think a lot of the, you know, the biking it to school or school bus systems create that sense of independence, but also the better for the environment. And on top of that, you know, during cost of living crisis, as you said, they can encourage that that level of independence along with, you know, keeping the price of things down, you know, having your kids mm. bike it in instead of actually just drive them in all the time. Because yeah. I know plenty you just drive the kids in. And yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, well, you know, maybe there's there's other ways to do it. I've seen, you know, a lot my daughter's um, college has done it where they've gone for free buses in and out of school, which I think is a fantastic one to do. But, you know, there's another one about that where you've got to think carefully and i think we should do we talked about noise today a bit you know whenever you organize these extracurricular extra activities or things that you can do outwards or school buses is to think about the experience of how that sensory experience will be for kids Mm. you know and that's probably why we can probably touch back base with kind of you know the thing with now press play you know or headsets or podcasts or things to listen to because I swear to God, I mean, I, I, you know, I enjoyed, you know, chucking my teen onto a bus, but she's, uh, you know, ADHD and I swear she hates the noise. <laughs> she's just <laughs> like, I can't deal with it, mom. You know what I mean? It's like, right, okay. So she's doing yeah. it via, you know, yet again, a big set of headset. You know what I mean? Yeah. Listening to, you yeah. know, um, A-level revision you know, instead. And I think, you know, just being able to say, right, you know, if you feel it, you know, if you feel like that may be an issue, here's some ways to get around it. Is yeah. nice to do instead of just being like, oh, we'll just throw you in, you'll be fine, you'll survive. Um, just, a, you know, having those opportunities or safe spaces or quiet spaces within the school or tactics for managing things uh, would probably not be a good, I think would be a good thing. What do you yeah. think? Yeah, no, I think creating kind of mindfulness moments as well is, is really important especially for pupil and, and teacher well-being so you know anywhere where you can either explore silence or listen to a guided meditation or you know just simply asking children to like maybe close their eyes and put a grape in their mouth and how does it feel or how does it taste when you bite it you know going through sensory things like that so that 
you know, we just need to slow down. I mean, I know I'm super guilty of it and going on a high speed. And I think, you know, children get that as well. And being able to teach someone to go, it's okay to be still. Mm. It's going to help you get through all the points in life where, where it can sometimes get quite intense. It's like, how do I look after myself in this moment? I think that is a beautiful point to stop, Tilly. I hope that you will have a lovely day and look after yourself oh, and chill and have an enjoyable period for the rest of Sunday. So I'm going to thank you to Tilly Brook for coming. If you want to get in touch, I'll, I'll be tweeting it out later on so you'll be able to see where Tilly's at. And, you know, if you've got any questions or you've got any thoughts on noise or on play or on any of the sensory issues we've been talking about today, please get in touch for the rest for two weeks worth of time before I'm on next. And um, thank you all for listening today. And thank you, Tilly. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. No worries. Thank you very much. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.